Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue and this is a podcast for benchwarmers. On today's show, I have former Munster fullback, Dennis Hurley. A shout out to all the lads of my rugby club Sunday as well. I'm sure you'll be tuning in. I also have a guy from my hometown, Mark Cody, who did a triathlon for 24 hours and raised nearly 17,000 for the Irish Cancer Society. Incredible. Sit back, relax and give it a listen. Enjoy. Dennis Hurley. Dennis, how are you? I'm very good, Nev. I'm keeping well in any case. That's uh, back to sunny weather in Cork, at least for the, for the short term. <laughs> That's good. Look, we'll, we'll start first anyway with the current, because uh, we'll start, I want to get your thoughts on Munster at the moment, because um, they're into the last 16 of the Champions Cup, and obviously they play Exeter now, home and away. What do you think of Munster so far this season? Um, it's been varied, I think. You know, um, obviously a lot of disruption the last last couple of seasons with with COVID, um, and you know, there's, there's kind of new personnel come into the squads and and trying to properly um, assimilate those guys into the environments and and kind of get players up to speed um, as quick as possible. They you know that, that kind of creates issues here and there. Um, I suppose the the core of you know what what most fans kind of watching. We'd be t- talking about is you know whether the game plan I suppose kind of currently suits the type of um, players that are there, um, you know, and this is, I suppose the other side of it then of you know blooding young players um, actually playing in, in in highly competitive games and you're you're talking about playing teams that are in the you know I suppose the top four to six teams maybe um, in the United Rugby Championship um, and and then Europe as well you know like they're 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 the top tier that you kind of test to see where exactly the monster stand amongst all of that um and uh i, I think the lovely part of the best game of the season was was when we were kind of blitzed with guys stuck in in, in south africa due to covid and, and um here back in ireland as well and we go over to wasps who've i suppose a bit of a mixed season but to, to, i thought the performance was one of the best performances we've seen out of monster for years and um you know, like you're, talk, you're talking there, obviously the international guys who weren't, didn't travel to South Africa. Um, but they, they, you could see they really threw the arms around the young players. Um, and it was lovely to see because, like, they, like, yes, of course, young players are going to make errors and it's a part of the learning curve. And it's a fairly steep learning curve. But um, you look at the effort on that day, um, you know, and you, you could talk about, you know, Tyg Byrne, to Keith Earls, Peter Manny, Connor Murray, um, and and beyond, like the the group that, that were there, really kind of shouldered these young lads and kind of gave them so much confidence to play. And the lovely thing was was we actually did play the ball. There was a lot more freedom, uh, movement of the ball, um, and you could see what started to struggle with it. You know, unfortunately, Joey Carberry getting injured injured in that game. Um, in some regards, you kind of were getting to see the best of them. Yeah. Um, at 10 and uh, but I suppose it opens the door then to, to younger players um, you know and, and that's, that's their opportunity to to really learn and grow so I think the other side of it then you know when you've, you've a number of, of the, the coach and management leaving um, you kind of look at you know what, what, what where they might be at um, you know they've already I suppose the two main two main coaches you could say in terms of the attack and defence game are, are, are leaving so are they throwing a little bit of caution to wind <laughs> so we're kind of seeing 
we've seen a small bit of a change, but it's it's kind of the you'd love to see just a bit more regularity in 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 that thought mindset because monster we're we're not we're not big animal teams we're not like you know a huge French pack like we're, we're Irish players and it's uh, you know we have to play to our strengths and I think that that's that's invariable you'd hope with whatever coach comes in next season um, that they come in with that mindset of, of really kind of you know using these younger players getting the best out of them but at the same time um, you know that it, that it really applies the best of our strengths you know to, to I suppose European rugby especially um, and that's that's kind of that's where the season kind of is. So it's been up and down, but yeah. um, you know it's been enjoyable to see. It's been enjoyable to see how, how we've seen improvements in individual players as well as the group. Um, I suppose sometimes you take two steps forward and there's, there's one step back in performances wise. But you know um, it's nice to see that we're, we're into the into the last sixteen that there's um, there's a good spread in the squad. Um, it's a bit more depth than there might have been in previous years. Um, and even with the number of injuries, like Roy Scanlon coming back in to play there at 12, I, like, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, he replaced me as well, of course, I'd say that, but uh, <laughs> I'd have to. But I, to me, I suppose, he he offered the type of game plan that, you know, me and, and some of the predecessors at 12, you know, couldn't really offer in terms of um, the distribution, whereas, like, he's, he's kind of... Um, He's he's a second ten almost at twelve, but he's you know he's he's a ball carrier as well. He's as well as make tackle. So, you know, in, in terms of tweaking Munster's gameplay, you you do have the personnel in, in position. Um, you know, obviously Damien Delande offers that as well. So it's kind of you've you've a perfect, you know, swapping between the two the two. Um, so like you know, there's there's a lot in place to to be positive about. It's just a matter of getting the. The plan together that, that that suits that. Well, I'm glad you brought up the London Wasp game because um, that really was a throwback to the old. You know, like when when Munster's backs are always to the wall, we always kind of come out fighting. But I suppose speaking about the young players, what young players would you be most looking forward to out of that group of players? And the second question I ask you, Dennis, is what would be seen as a success at the end of the season? Like you know, we've we've Exeter now. I think I think Munster are currently. Uh, Fifth in the in the United Rugby Championship, and like what, what, what who are you looking forward to as young players, and what would be qualified as a success? Because you know, I, I was saying this before to Dave O'Callaghan because I'd be friendly with him, and like Munster are always going to be compared to Leinster, you know, like and mm. and they're always going to be compared to the team you were on that won Heineken Cups, you know. But maybe we kind of have to push that aside, and you know, they have to make their own legacy. Yeah, like I think it's. Like the game has moved on so much since then. Like you know, what are you talking? Fourteen years ago now. Like it's 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 completely different evolution. I grew up with a view of playing. Um, you know, it was amateur. It was amateur international amateur from Munster. So, like these guys are growing up now with the with the vision of playing professional. So you can imagine the age grades and uh, you know the coaching environment that a lot of these players are are getting. Um, I suppose access to, you know, I didn't lift lift a weight first until I was eighteen or nineteen. Right. These guys are, are you know, if not lifting weights, that they're kind of doing Olympic lifts and, and body weight stuff from probably the age of fourteen, fifteen, and then kind of, you know, so like there's there's bigger and bolder players kind of coming up. Um, 
you know, in, in terms of young players, you, like you can't look past Gavin Coombs, I suppose. Like the guy is has been absolutely phenomenal, you know. Um I know like there was good rumblings coming out of, of West Cork and, and and UCC when he was playing and I was still kind of um some of those question marks about, you know, has he got the appetite first? Because at the professional level it, it really is like it's a, it's a tough environment, you know. You you can kind of you can play well one week, you know, you can play well for a few a few weeks one bad game and suddenly as a young player you could be just thrown under the bus quite quickly and uh, to be fair to the guy the amount of tries he's scoring but he's he's a phenomenal kind of athlete in terms of actually being able to break the game line yeah. the ball carries um, and I suppose the thing about that is when you have a number eight that is is able to give you that that um, game line positive game line on a regular basis and it's, you're presenting a, a platform of quick ball for you know, to really set an, uh, launch attacks off of, um, and that's, that's what he offers. His brother Liam as well. I, I kind of, I, I do like the look of him. I think he's he's kind of a. There's, a, I suppose, he's that he's instinct of going chasing ball, and um, which I love him in guys. Kind of an Andrew Conway, um, even Gary Ro- or Gary Ringrose kind of um, mold to him, um, and I, I think there's a lot more to come from him. Um, you've guys that haven't had a huge amount of luck in. Um, you know, you've just seen a little bit more of the likes of uh, Ben Healy um, at ten. You know, to see to see what what exactly he can fill. Um, and you look at Jack Crowley as well. You know, very young player. Um, you know, I, I think like pe- people can look at guys as being young players when when you're when you grow up in Munster. And you you idolise you know the guys and and you kind of come into the environment and suddenly you're thrown in you know starting games in Europe and you make a mistake or two. It really is about how how those individuals kind of bounce back from from those and and kind of apply themselves and you know and like people can be small but critical like I know Jack made a couple of mistakes and dropped one or two balls uh, against Castro and it's very much it's kind of like he's overthinking what he's doing you know rather than doing what he needs to do in the moment but like. In terms of like, if, as long as he's bouncing back from those instances and kind of going, okay, that's that's water off a duck's back. Next job and, and get on with it. That's the type of attitude and type of type of guys that are really going to drive Munster going forward over the years. Um, you know, and, and there's guys, I suppose, even you know, Thomas Thomas O'Hearn, uh, you've Keenan Knox, um, young Campbell in at hooker, and there's. Like you know, you're starting to see those, those those bulbs, and you kind of query: Would we have seen much of them if the COVID hadn't happened? And yeah. this is another side, so I suppose you know. So like the opportunity has been there for, for a good number of them, and and to be fair to them, that they they've they've taken it, um, and um, and and that's that's probably you know the the biggest aspect that you look at, and you take a bit of uh, a bit of confidence from. Yeah, and f- finally, Dennis with Munster, the second part of the question is that. What would you see as a success? And the other question I like to ask is, who would you like to see the monster, the new monster course next season? Um, the success of this, like I think, you know, what what fans generally want to see um, is, you know, a broader game plan and Champions Cup. You know, yeah, it, it, it's to kind of be able to, like, listen. For me, watching Munster, and it's it's kind of a cycle that hasn't really changed. Even 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 in my latter years, you just kind of look at look back then and kind of go, you know, it was certain ways we played games that we kind of like we need to have a different way of of, of playing and approaching. And I think that's what 
I would see as a success for Munster, you know, that they can kind of, um, in the coming months, forge an identity of how they play, how they want to play, but also have that that bit of adaptability. Um, I think, you know, when games over years, when we got into tight situations, went back into one of ball carries and teams, you know, strong defence just lapped that up. So like you're, you're talking about playing Exeter, um, you know, in the next round. And, and that's that's the team that you have to really play against. Um, otherwise, they'll, they'll swallow you up and force you to make mistakes. And on the back of that, you know, I suppose their counter-attack ability um, is, is what would kill you. So you need to be... You need to come come out with it like a knife fight. You have to bring bring a knife to it, and uh, rather than bringing a blunt blade, um, and and that's kind of what I, I would say as being a real positive. You know that that you'd like to see from Munster um, this year. I'd always say that listen is is it more important that you win games as well. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. So you need that mentality. So to try and try and bridge that gap between the two would be um, would be difficult. Um, but like that, I suppose, if the coach and staff are kind of in the mindset, listen, let's, let's throw the dice at it a little bit in a controlled way, I suppose, of course, but, um, you know, and see what can happen out of it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you don't know which which of these younger players really will spring to life. Um, and and that, would be, that would be huge for Munster. Um, and who do you think for, or would like to be the Munster coach next year? Or do you have any thoughts on it? Or? Um... I, I I wouldn't delve into it hugely. I would if I've um Prendergast. Uh, like, Wait, huh? Mike Prendergast is doing well over in France. Bring him back as an attack coach, maybe yeah. you did with him, wouldn't you? So yeah, oh, yeah. Like Mike Mike's a great, great kind of guy. Um I, I think the thing is for for some of the some of the former Munster players, I'd imagine is like, you know, whether 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 their timing or is the environment right for them, you know, to apply their game philosophy as it as it were um you know mike plays a very sim- similar one to canterbury um which rob penny would have introduced um when he came over that 2013 i think it was um and and you know there was there was players in the squad um that didn't like it you know didn't suit the way they played and but for many of us we loved it because it was a break from the norm um, and really, I suppose you know one of the conversations I had with with Rob was he was towards the end of of, of his time at Munster and um, just to kind of see you know just, I suppose burn the ear off him a little bit, but uh, just to see how he approached it all. But he said you know his his thing was is like you know Munster were 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 needing a new way of playing um, to break the stereotype of of the kind of the ten man rugby. Um, and which served very well, you know, through the through the noughties and that. Um, but as as you kind of saw Leinster starting to rise, um, you know, you've seen teams like Saracens, you know, take a hold on on Europe, um, and then some of the powerhouses of Clermont and Toulouse, and like they're playing a different brand of rugby, um, and it's it's an attacking focused, you know, which is very much more Southern Hemisphere, um, and I suppose the skill set of that increases of players and, and that's I suppose in some regards that would really help the Irish squad um, yeah. as Andy Farrell's evolving what's going on there but um, so like if the philosophy suited for Mike Prendergast it would be great but I'd, I'd have a feeling that there's still a bit of a you know 
an environment maybe within um, you know the hierarchy in, in Munster rugby that it needs to be a follow-on, which I'd be kind of a little bit you know un un how would you say unconvinced by. Um, the other side of them, I think you know there is there is a bit of a dissociation between between you know Munster and, and I suppose the club game uh, you know that that does show at times. Um, you know, like all these younger players, like where are they coming from? They're coming from the clubs and like Munster isn't full of schools, like there's a number of schools. So um you kind of look at, you know, is it a potential for someone like Deck and Kidney to come back in a director of rugby role? Um and kind of you know, you have a CEO, I suppose, that isn't really from a rugby background. Um Gareth Fitzgerald, um, rest his soul, um, was very much like he knew the underage development teams, schools teams, you know, club players. Um, and that, that that was something that, you know, I suppose he kind of have his finger on the pulse across a lot of different different things. So I suppose who might be able to come in and, and fulfill that role and, and someone like Decky would would really suit that, you know. Um, so then you'd kind of need to have, I suppose, a, a head coach that could follow on and, and you know, so, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, all right. But listen, it's so all speculation until De- Declan Kidney, uh, Mike Prendergast, and Scott Robertson. That's what you're saying. Yeah, Scott Robertson would be brilliant. Yeah, so like even you know, like Jason Holmes, I don't think he'd ever leave. You know, but um, like the guy, he's gone on to you know great heights as well. Understands Munster as well. Involved with Middleton Rugby Club as well for for a number of years. He coached the academy. Um, he did, you know, he's obviously involved. He was a backs coach um, for a number of years with Tony McGann. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's evolved hugely. Like, in, 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 I was kind of, um, he was a head coach of uh, the Hurricanes. And, you know, they, they're they're doing, like, they're a very strong team um, under him. So, like, there's, I, I just think there needs to be someone coming in that has a good, Strong handle on what is monster, yeah. and you know, and I, th- I think that's that. So a lot of people would say, and, and it's hard as being a former player to say it, but that that kind of identity, I suppose, is is kind of a little bit missing. Yeah, um, and and I think it would kind of help the playing squad really to kind of have that that kind of back in around them again. Right. Well, let's just talk about your own career then, Dennis, because uh, I'm a right and saying you're from Navin up in County Mead, and like. Um, was it always rugby from day one? Because obviously football is big up in me too, like, you know. Um, and did you did you come through the club system or did you go to a school or how did you get into rugby? Yeah, well, I I suppose background was, I, I was born Ballanine, West Cork. Um, and uh, my dad was working in the dairy industry. Um, he would have, he would have, he was prez um, school in Cork. Um, he would have gone on from there to play UCC, um, eventually Sunday as well. And um, he played Munster as well. So, well, he was a sub in 78, so he's still still dining off that one um, right. when they beat the All Blacks. And uh, so, like, you know, I've grown up being in the store, hearing those stories. Um, when I was probably one, we moved to the States with Dad's work. Um, so we were there for a number of years. When we came back, he picked up work then in, in Virginia and County Cavan. And uh, about 15, 20 minute drive away was Kells, County Mead. Um, so it was just a larger town and had, you know, schools and facilities and, and all that side of things and uh, no rugby club. Um, 
So Navin was the local rugby club. Um, but you know, he, he threw us into made sure we did athletics, Gaelic football, the the low level of hurling that was there in, in Mead. Uh, but there was hurling all right. Um, tennis, golf. I, listen, would have played everything. It's thrown us in into everything, and um, which you know, it, it's kind of it, you look at kids these days. They, they need like you know to kind of grow and and appreciate different sports and. Ha- grow different abilities so um but i suppose his his growth for rugby kind of fostered that w- within myself you know and uh um i suppose the more i played it the more i loved it uh loved the contact side of it i loved you know getting the ball in hand obviously loved scoring tries and stuff as a kid and um it uh yeah i think like schools i, I kind of went went to castle knock for three years to play the quality of rugby wasn't actually great and um so dad was like listen would you we let's come back and go back to play with Navin and, and go back into school uh secondary school back that direction and so which I did and um you know I, I think I'd lost a little bit of love for it even around then so kind of just brought back to a bit of normality and uh um I did I did a stint in Munchens then for a year repeated the leaving missed out in sports science by five points so it was one of those conversations mm-hmm. Through one of Dad's old UCC teammates, um, who was co- or teaching and coaching in the school, uh, connected that. Um, so I did did a stint there, um, and um, then took up a course in UCC, uh, did commerce, and I suppose from there, you know, it was it was the first kind of structure I suppose I was in, really. They had a bit of a UCC academy, and was brought into that, um, and you know. The Maradek Arena down there would have kind of, let's say, access to a gym, a proper gym. Like, this is the first time actually lifting weights. Like, and you're kind of 18, 19 then at that stage. Um, but uh, I suppose as as kind of things went on, progressed. And uh, I think I was still in UCC. I was probably second year or something. Like that. I think I got my first first cap with, with Munster. Uh, funny enough, was, <laughs> end of season game we had. Was, and we're on the beer on the way back down and uh, it was Decky rang me I'd say oh, I could have been about six points deep like I'd say at this stage and he said will you jump on a flight there tomorrow uh, yeah. <laughs> we've, a game, we've a rescheduled game on the Tuesday night and that was the week of um, the week of uh, the 2006 final yeah. so I actually got to go over stay in a hotel with the, with the whole squad and there was a few of us brought over supplements um, to stay um, and you know, so a few days. So it was actually great, you know, that just kind of get a taste and, and see the, you know, what the guys were doing. And um, obviously we were prepping then for a game Tuesday night um, and, uh, you know, the following Saturday or Sunday, whatever, whatever day it was, you know, they, they were taking the field in the Millennium Stadium. So it was, uh, it was you know, so like that's the evolution really of, of my background of getting, getting from, I suppose, grown grassroots up. Yeah, you must look back on it. I, I'll never forget. Was it the game against like the game against Gloucester in two thousand eight in Gloucester? I think you were like that was the real day. I think you came of age. You know, I think yourself and Tomas O'Leary. I think you did. You more, both make your debuts that day, or could be wrong. European debuts and um, but was, you, must, was, you, you must look back and play with Munster with fondness, like you know. Yeah, I, I think while while you're playing, it's a funny thing. Like while you're playing, you always want to be better. You always want more you know you want to constantly prove yourself um you know because you've never played every game 
100%. Like, you know, like the, the, the couple of mistakes, you look back and go, I could have done that better. You know, and now of a number of years after, you kind of look back and go, do you know what? I kind of achieved, achieved quite a bit. Of course, there's times there I would have loved to have done things differently and, and potentially would have achieved more. Um, and, you know, there's, there's always that, that kind of corner of the, the mind. But, you know, generally I look back and go, you know what? Kind of really enjoyed the time. I had playing with so many different different guys. It's great meeting them now or, or, or even connecting with them, whether it's on WhatsApp or, or kind of over a call or something like every now and again. It's um, you know, you kind of you have that that bond, I suppose. And but you know, there's those kind of days that, that kind of stand out. Um, you know, that day yeah, just, that was tomorrow. it wasn't his first cap, but I think it was his first start in Europe. You really? know. So I think he hit a few under his belt. Uh, for me, it was my my it was my debut, and you know, so my first first cap um, in Europe. Um, and it kind of came a little bit left field. Um, you know, obviously, well, stringer. Didn't you score a try today? Didn't Tomas Leary kick it through? And didn't you score in the corner or something? Didn't you? That was um, I kicked through for Doug. How oh, was it? That was it. Um, I actually did score though. I was disallowed though. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think yeah, uh, ruined the poke or something. He'd run a blocking line, um, so it was Dean. But yeah, I'd gone and scored in the tribes, celebrating without even having heard the whistle being blown. Right. But there was it was pulled back to the twenty-two for for crossing. Um, but uh, yeah, that that day was like um, Anderson, the, um, the Scottish fullback. He was kicking for Gloucester, and he just had a horrendous day because we given away. There could have been three or four penalties. Definitely three in the first half, and I think he only kicked one of them. Yeah. If 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 any of them, he just had an absolute nightmare off the tee, um, and we'd scored a try in the first half. So, you know, we we'd kind of taken taken the the wind out of their sails a bit by half time, and yeah. you know that they have the the infamous the shed as they call it, which is kind of over the far side from the the main stand, and you had that, which usually. Be, Usually be packed out with uh, with the Gloucester massive, but like there was it was a good group. Monster fans were mixed in around there, like yeah. obviously all grabbing tickets from from whatever whatever channel they could, they get access to it. And um, I just remember it kind of it started raining about half time, so the pitch kind of got a bit greasy. And um, the they had just a very simple. Didn't, set up. Didn't um, didn't Marcus Warren or someone get injured in the build up, and didn't Tony Buckley start, and Pucciarello was having a burger in one of the stands, and he'd come onto the bench. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. So all of this kind of came out after, obviously, but like none of us knew anything about it. What was going on? Right. Who was it put loose? Yeah, it was Marcus. I think got injured. So. Freddie was kind of traveling like reserve. You always bring one or two extra bodies just in case. Um, so I think Freddie had even gone for a few points the night before, you know, and was, he was he was kind of like, oh, so I'm not going to be playing anyway. Um, and um, so it turned out during the warm brights, yeah, and then she was Marcus that got injured. So then Tony Buckley, Mushy is name, you know, was was going to start, and so Freddie was up in the stands with his his suit on, um, but he left his gear bag on the bus. And the bus now apparently had gone parking a mile down the road. So the lads all of a sudden, during the morning, like, Freddy, Freddy, he's up in the stand kind of going, wow, <laughs> he's like, yeah. get your gear on, you know. Um, so Dunica Ryan was traveling sub as well um, as, an, as a, an extra reserve. And um, 
So Dunners had to go and try and find where the bus was. So he could take off scampering down the road about a mile with his suit on yeah. to try and find the bus, um, get Freddie's gear, bring it back so Freddie could, could get on. And um, like Mushy was playing out of, out of position. So as soon as, as Freddie was back, I think he was, uh, Freddie was thrown on. Yeah. Um, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a helter skelter for them. But, uh, it's great. Like, you, you probably don't get that anymore now because I, I know you were a professional, but like, there was still a bit of amateur wasn't too far away from you, like, you know. So, yeah, you were kind of, you were slowly but surely, I suppose, like, as, as year by year, you know, as, as older bodies kind of left the group and stuff like that, you know. Um, I think Axel retired that 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 year. Um, you know, so like he's probably one of the older stock. Um, you know, yeah, you'd kind of classify him as older stock. Like you know, he'd 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 have hung around now with some of the the wrong types. Um, you know, and the claw, the claw used to have in fags or something, just now. Apparently, and I trained with claw a number of times. I remember I did did one. Like I was, I was only in the academy or something. I remember, like I ended up, we're splitting up in the groups of four, and I ended up being with Claw, Golov, and it might have been Quinny or something like that. Like, and I think it was Claw just kind of at the corner of his mouth. It was something along the lines of like, you know, if you try to go any anyway hard here, you'll never train with us again, kind of thing. Like, you know, just like, as in go nice and handy here. Now we we'll make each other look good. And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with this. This yeah, thing, yeah. 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 Um, I suppose then, just finally on that, then Dennis, like the 2008 winning the Heineken Cup, um, that must have been a real special moment in your career. Yeah, again, at the time I was 23, as it was, but you know, for like younger players in the Munster squad, like the, like I was, I was the youngest, I'd say, by a number of years. Um, you know, you Donegal Ryan on the bench, Keith Earls was on the bench, but in terms of like, there wasn't really many changes. Um, you know, generally, so, so for me, it just felt I'm still a very, very young player. So to kind of have have the opportunity, never mind playing a European quarterfinal, but actually, you know, winning a, a European final, and and I suppose the the history that Munster had at that point, you know, accumulated of of you know the I suppose the more the more downs than ups, you know, in terms of um, knockout stages that to actually be on the field and and um, you know, afterwards, it was just it was just surreal to kind of have have won and, and kind of be part of that dressing room. Um, you know, and obviously there was there was less pressure on it because they had won it in two thousand six. But then there was that appetite, you know, real appetite that you know we, we more than than owed this to, our, to ourselves. And um, you know, I did like one of the things that I'd always remember was like you'd play with certain teams and and there'd be times where you just feel like nothing is going right here like there's absolute like how are we going to pull this around it just always felt for that group like no matter what way games were kind of going there was just always this kind of this undercurrent of belief like just you, you couldn't really describe it but you just kind of felt almost there was never that panic um on the field so as as, as a team might have scored points it was just you know the guys were kind of probably ahead of their time in many regards in, in, in terms of just that kind of reset and that mindset of of you know, like just, we're just move on to the next job, and, and we know what we're doing, and then like you know, we we kind of back each other on what we're doing, and the, like there's so many games. I think for for in my time and in, in my first number of years, where we might have been behind 
with 20 minutes to go and think, God, well, we're not going to climb ourselves back back into this. Like, and all of a sudden, you know, something happens. Raj puts in a kick, and or you know, some someone makes a bit of a line break, and suddenly you score a try. It's knocked over, and um, all of a sudden, it's just like, geez, the game is back on here. Um, and yeah. you know, the good depth I think within the squad. Obviously, Paul Warwick when he came in, I think was a was a huge addition to, especially when Roger was away on international duty to have. Paul, you know, moving between uh, fullback and 10 and even 12 a, a few times, you know, really kind of gave um, that consistency, as opposed to our, our general attacking game. Yeah, yeah. I just want to ask you then about Ireland, because I know I have, I think you've won cap for Ireland. Um, and I know like I, Stephen Archer also has one cap, but a lot of people say, oh, one cap wonder, but I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go along with that, obviously, because you got the honour of playing for Ireland, like, you know, like, tell me about being involved with the Irish squads then and and how did you get on with, with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one over the years. I would have been in a number of camps. I'd say I was probably only named in the Six Nations squad once. I would have been on a, a number of tours, mainly mainly Ireland A tours. Um, and, you know, I suppose when you're kind of brought into Six Six Nations camp, they're a pretty long time. And if you're not actually directly involved in the starting squad, you know, you kind of look at, is it actually helpful to your own game? Um, because, like, essentially all you're doing is training um, and you're not actually playing. So, like, you know, players hone their skills by playing. Um, and, you know, at the time, Munster kind of had this, um, you know, I suppose it was kind of a, a rule, really, like that. As international players involved in Irish camp, if you're if you're coming back to play on a Friday night or released to play, that you know, maybe you weren't starting, you were on the bench, um, which you know was fair enough. But it just meant then your your actually game time was kind of limited. Um, but on the whole, then you know, like the you know the one cap, um, like we did we did play in in, in Limerick against uh, Fiji, you know, and if. If that was up in Dublin, it would have been another capped game. So I always look at that as well and kind of go, like in my head, it's it's potentially two caps. Um, and you know, but be it be what it made. It's having a cap for Ireland is is is, is a huge thing. And yeah, it's look, it's great to this day to be able to say I achieved it. Should I have achieved more? You know, I'd say I should have. There were certain times where either you know I just kind of hit bad form or got an injury and, and there might have been opportunity lost, you know, and, and like say la vie, can't can't change that now. But um, you know, I think just kind of that achievement in itself, you know, is, is a kind of proud moment. Not only for me, I think it's like every player would say it's it's kind of for family and friends that kind of are involved in in that whole story behind getting you getting to where you are and, and kind of sharing those those good days and bad days. Definitely. And then tell me, Dennis, what are you doing now professionally? Because, you know, when you step away from the professional game, like, well, for yourself, obviously, you have to go get a job. Uh, what did you qualify in? And I remember I was talking to you one night, you spent a few years, or you spent a year or two in Dubai, did you? Like, I'd be interested in that. And, and yeah, you're living in Douglas now, is it? Yeah, living in Douglas and Cork. Um, so I suppose moving from Meads down for college, um, by the time I retired, I suppose probably down in Cork, let's say fourteen years or something like that. Um, but in terms of you know J ones, uh, like like people say, it's great as a professional player, you get to travel. But like you know, it's it's planes, it's hotels, buses. It's you know yeah. sometimes it's, you don't really get the full um, 
the full access to it. You know, we've some great tours now with with RNA, especially and then um, our senior tour as well to Canada and USA. Um, because when when we kind of finished up, you know, you'd stay on in the states and there could be a crew around for a few days and then you kind of you know do a few things together, um, and that, that's really enjoyable. Um, but I suppose when I finished up, there was that kind of point. Was I really ready? I'd done a commerce degree in UCC. Um, I did a postgrad in accounting corporate finance with a view to listen. I was just ticking boxes. I was playing rugby, but um, just yeah. kind of have a few boxes ticked and see see what might come of it. Um, and I suppose towards you know when when I eventually did finish up, it was kind of through injury, lost lost my contact really, um, and I was injured at the time, and it wasn't career ending unfortunately in some regards because it kind of. I think with a career ending, sometimes you have a definitive, you're done. Whereas it was kind of gone, you could still play. Um, but, you know, my, my missus was just like this. And then, you know, what are you going to do? Take a short term contract. And, you know, in one year's time, you're going to be in the same position looking for a contract. So I just said, you know, fair enough, time to move on. Um, and um, so it was always in my mind when I finished up, I just wanted to get away um, for a period to try and catch up on some bit of a travel, some bit of an experience, some are different. Um, the, I suppose the, the easiest choice for us at the time, we had family and friends living over in, in Dubai um, and used a few connections and contacts and um, we, we decided to make a move over there. Um, you know, attractive of the, the sun, you know, the sand and yeah. um, doing something different. Um, and we were there about a year and a half, um, which was, I think it was a great experience, you know, I, I kind of, I've worked in two different jobs. Um, there was a, a company, like a sports distributor, um, it was an Irish guy then, there was one of the managers in there, so he kind of linked me into getting the role. Um, and like very much the same in Dubai, it's kind of, you get your first role, but the first role is just to get your second role. Um, so there's another guy approached me then about the startup sports academy so I was kind of coming in as you know from my background in, in um high performance sport um you know to get, I suppose oversee putting in a plan in place and, and kind of putting the logistics and everything around it so great experience on that front um again I suppose trying to figure out what I was doing as well as I go along and um when I, I suppose we, we were kind of close to finishing up it just kind of felt you know for us we'd, we'd a one and a half year old when she was hitting two by then and we were like i'm not sure if this is for us longer term um and coincidentally i suppose I contacted marcus horn who's in the players association and he said listen we're actually looking for for someone um might suit your your cv and that um so interviewed for it and got the, got the role before it even moved back um which is based in dublin um, and you know I was there for three years. COVID had struck. It was very much about sports sponsorship events um, side of things. So kind of managing key partners um, and managing the business, but also as well the representation side of it. So in terms of you know COVID and there are a few would employ all the players. So one of the big things was is that there was just a year previous it was finalised um, contract, like I suppose a collective contract for all professional players in Ireland and. So it was just new, new drafted terms and conditions. So um, part of that meant that the RFU had to sit down at the table with, with the Players Association and the players at, to, to discuss. Sorry, no, there's banging no. The little right. players I can hear jumping up and down. 
Um, but um, that I suppose there was it came that we had to sit down to discuss what terms were involved, and you know that the players themselves knew that they had to take a, a pay cut, but. You know, it just meant as well that the, the tables were kind of turned a little bit because always, you know, there are a few would be the stronghold, but the players would look at it like, listen, we're, we're the ones growing the game. We're the ones, you know, yeah. generating the revenue. Without us, you don't have anything. So, you know, it's, 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 a, but it's a working relationship, which, which was really good. But obviously with, um, with um, you know, sponsorship events that kind of plummeted. So... Um, I was let go, let's say, during the summer, um, and we'd move, we'd move back to Cork in the meantime. So I was looking looking around in any case, and uh, so now now working with uh, West Cork Distillers selling whiskey. Or is so that Ernest Cantillan? Is he is that his whiskey? No, he's in he's Kinsale, so they have a, a different. This um, this is based down in Skibbereen, right. which the guys originally would originate out of uh, Union Hall. Yeah, so kind of a small, small fishing town, well, village you'd kind of call it. Um, and there was just three, three cousins. One of them, scientists' background, I suppose. Um, he was working in Kerry Group at the time, head of R and D, and another two, his two cousins were uh, fishermen. Yeah. So young families, and they just needed to try figure out something else to do. So they put the heads together in 2003 and um, so it's a great story behind it all. Um, marketing for them then, is it Dennis or what, what's your role? I, I kind of, I, I suppose two parts of the role really is that I kind of manage some of their main accounts. Um, so distributors, um, you know, export as well as um, a few national accounts um, here in Ireland. Um, so it's just kind of, I suppose, managing the relationships there and um, kind of growing the, their capacity and, and, and sales. But, you know, you'd have an input, obviously, in, in, in kind of the direction now, I suppose, of, of where the brand is actually going. Um, but also, I suppose, internally, just kind of helping deliver better processes, you know, of how we, we kind of manage those accounts. So, you know, in terms of ordering processes and all that, the kind of boring kind of stuff. But, you know, I suppose at the same time, I've, you know, I'm a, I, 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 I enjoy things that are done properly, I suppose. So. You enjoy <laughs> them well-fitted. Yeah, uh, final few questions, Dennis. I can't let you go without uh, your coaching. Um, well, I'm not retired yet. I'm kind of still hanging on. You're coaching the well at the moment, Sunday as well, in Cork. How did you decide to get back into, do you just love, do you love being involved in the game still and you just wanted to get back into coaching? I like. I think this is the thing. It's like, Nev, rugby's been part of our house for, you know, since, since it was five was, you know, first, Brought out training, um, and I like. I still love the club game. I think it's you know it, it's something that sometimes can be overlooked. Like the schools and rugby, you know, to generate to the international and like the professional game here in Ireland, you know, which is great. But you know, like we see it now through COVID, that you know people need need an outlet. They need a kind of a group environment that they can kind of you know get involved with. You know, obviously there's the act. The activity side of it being out and about like fresh air like i love you know it's it's something that as well i know inside out i won't say i'll have the answer to everything of how we should should be doing things as a coach but i you know generally i can i can hold my own and so that's that kind of part so as i'm figuring out things in my work life i kind of can go into the pitch in the evening time and go well i know all this so yeah. this is kind of it's more enjoyable 
and it's like an outlet for me. Um, but as well, you know, I, I just think that the clubs need to be kind of preserved and and you know they need they need I suppose that the duty of care really like from from coaches to kind of you know like like it's it's it, it if we lost more clubs because of COVID I just think it would be the sad thing and that's across all sports you know like I think we've as people generally with the world over it, especially here in Ireland you know that people do lean on on the club environment for for a variety of different things and, and having having an outlet having a social group um having a bit of activity in your week um you know and, and it can be a social support as well for many and, and I think that's an important thing um so yeah like I just I, I do love I love that aspect of things that's I tell you it's 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 trying at times as well like you know I, I feel like I'm like a mother hen you know dealing with individuals at times and then trying to figure out if guys being injured and you know who's available not available and trying to pick teams but also keep the whole group um you know uh, you know I suppose engaged uh figuring out what works, what doesn't work. So it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing, but it kind of it keeps keeps the mind active and, uh, you know, keeps the evenings busy as well. And you talked out there at the weekend with a, with a massive win against, um, oh, Jesus, Scaries at, at home in Musgrave Park. Was that, was it enjoyable to be back in the, in the thick of it? And um, I suppose what, what will be, a, what's, the, what's the goal with Sunday as well at the end of the season as well, I suppose? Um, yes, I thought that was the second time I told out. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of would hold myself back from talking out because I, I think it's just part of the timing of it. I think was it's a, it's a kind of a mixed group, um, and we brought brought you know you're involved in it. You kind of see what's where we've kind of come from. We still have great numbers coming out training, and and you know it's been a tough season in terms of you know like we've like out of ten games we've drew one, we've only won two. You know so. That's that's kind of t- you take a heavy kind of hit on that front, you know. It's, it's hard for guys to constantly pick themselves back up. Um, and I just felt there's a couple of injuries, you know. We, since Christmas, we won won one game, the first home game. We lost away in the road again, just make a couple of simple errors. Um, I put myself on the bench as well as I came on for 15 minutes, but it was more of um, you know patching up holes if, if necessary, and then with a few extra bodies gone. And I just felt, you know, I had to give the group um, what we need on the pitch. I suppose it was just kind of, listen, I, I wouldn't be adding pace, let's say it that way. But at least I'd kind of be able to hold my own in terms of, um, you know, defence and um, just kind of get the ball moving from the backs. So, yeah, so just like I'm broken after though, and I've, I've yeah, just free. Really, you look like, the shattered uh, coming off, right? Like on Saturday, I I was hobbling. My I, like I've awful issues with my Achilles on on one leg. Well, both of them, but one leg in particular, um, for a good number of years, and it just like that's it's still kind of goosed since since yeah. the game. It doesn't help like it's on a three G surface, you know. Oh. A bit of grass, soft grass would have been better, but um, I yeah. wouldn't mind. It was, it was the nicest pitch in Ireland, but um, Dennis, I suppose as well. Um, we got a few questions in also because I put up that you were coming on, uh, to on the podcast Instagram site. Um, who has the best nickname out of the well? I'm not even getting across all of these nicknames. All right. I, I wouldn't know half of them, I'd say. All right. What was your preferred position on the pitch? 
Um, do you know what? Like at, at different times, I I love I love fullback, and I love twelve as well. Yeah. Um, All right. Different, different, but they're they're different, and pe- some people kind of go really, but yeah. they're, they're they're very different. A lot of traffic in the twelve channels. Fifteen are a lot freer. Yeah. Uh, best club player that played with but never made it pro. Um, try and think. It's kind of you could have someone, some of the likes of Frank Cogan, um, who'd have played number eight with Con for a number of years. Um, yeah, like he was just a quality player. Um, probably you know wouldn't have stood out for his size, wouldn't have stood out for you know the typical kind of reasons. But you know he just went about and got his work done consistently like and was always kind of a reliable player in, in AAL and um, could well have had a career you know maybe not in Munster but could well have had a career you know somewhere if you look at Tom Hayes when he ended up in Exeter yeah. you know just kind of came left field he, he was played a Munster A game or development game or whatever it was years ago with Tom and he was moving to Exeter and the next thing like he's, he's the stalwart of the club you know so those stories do happen Who's the best player you played with and against? Player played with, um, I'd say. You know, I, I loved playing with Ru Ru Tapoki. Um, yeah. I thought his understanding of the game and, and really about manipulating space and creating space for you know learned a huge amount. But he was he was just such a. Like he was kind of inspiring nearly, like because he'd kind of see things on the field before anyone else. Um, and you know, like you'd still have to say, like, like I was lucky to play with some quality players. You know, whether that was, um, you know, you had strings, you Tomas, you Raj, you Doug, um, you know, even Maths. Like they, they all had real qualities for varying reasons and. Uh, you know, you, you'd, I'd always lean towards the backs because you'd spend most time with them in any case, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit, who would you play against? Best player played against? I played against. Um, who would I thought? Do you know what? Um, Charles Pieto, I suppose, just for stepping, was like he turned. It was one, I still, it still crops up on reels and stuff like like on, on Instagram. <laughs> He turned the numbers and made absolute fools out of us uh, with his step. Um, just like for that, for that reason alone, was just kind of going wow. Um, actually, Casey Lawlada was another one actually because I remember when we we played Cardiff, um, and I remember he he absolutely turned the number of us inside out. And I'd say it was on the back of that performance that Rob Penny was, you know, went and chased to kind of bring him in uh, into Munster, and, and he was a real quality player as well. Um, and then finally, if last two questions, I suppose, Dennis, is just going back to the well. Um, I suppose this might be an unfair question, but like, do you think is coaching something you'd like to pursue? Or do you think you'd like to move on from the well? Or are you quite content with the well? Do you think it's a, a bigger project that needs more time? Or, or what, what way do you see it? Or... I, I, I coach for the reasons of, you know, it gets me out of the house. I, I, really enjoy being involved in rugby um, in that capacity of no aspirations going near the professional game because it just I think it just swallows your your life you know and I've been yeah. there done that um, it's like 
I, I just don't think the financial side of it would would really merit me, you know, just part like where I am now. Um, in terms of the well, yeah, I, I kind of I'm enjoying it, you know. Um, it's, it's tough going, I, I'll tell you. Like the last couple of weeks, like we've had, you know, 35 to 40 guys turning up training. Um, you know, I suppose it breeds a bit of confidence that, you know, A, maybe we're, we're putting together kind of a good environment that there's, you know, good quality training, but also that it's enjoyable, which is a key thing for me. And, you know, and that's that's something I can hang my hat on when when guys do then come up to games and, and they really want to win um, and they really want to perform. And, you know, like on any given day, like if, if you're in that mindset, you can win games. Um, even if the other opposition might be more skilled or, you know, more pace or whatever, they might have different, but, you know, it's, it's about the collective. And I suppose that's the player I was as well. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a world-class player and I know that, but there was, you know, I always made sure whatever I did, I would have done it to my utmost and made sure that my teammates, I suppose, would respect what I, what I brought to the table whenever I played. And that's kind of what I would, I kind of, I hope to 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 draw out of, of, of you know the squad. Um, I can't let you go without asking you about the Six Nations uh, starting next this weekend. How do you think Ireland are going to go, and who are your favourites to win it? Um, I'll tell you the like the the opening round is going to tell a lot. Ireland Wales. Um, I, I, like the way it's kind of fallen this this time round. Um, yeah, it's probably unfortunate, I think, sometimes for Ireland. It'd be very interesting, to be fair. Uh, like, Andy Farrell has brought, I suppose, like the, the, the good excitement now, I think, about, about Ireland again after the World Cup. And it's kind of, I suppose, we've seen this this up and down, um, this cycle that we're kind of in, you know, World Cup cycles where we kind of hit poor form coming into the World Cup and, you know, it's a bit of a dip for a few months and then we'll pick back up again and you kind of, you see two years out that you know, geez, we're actually playing really well, and we can we can we can do really well in the World Cup, and then you kind of get into this cycle where there's no evolution. So um, I think we kind of have to take it take it, you know, competition by competition. Um, and I suppose so far, what we've seen from Andy is 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 that there is more um, more need and want. I think you know that he wants to to express players to express themselves more. Um, and that is, you know, which is really positive, I think, for the group of players that are there. You look at Leinster, the way they're playing, like they're, they're by far, you know, they're, they're in the top five club teams in Europe and they're there for a reason. And it's, it's, it's how they play. It's how they, they play pace on the ball. So as soon as a ball is ready to play, doesn't matter what numbers on the back, they are using that ball, whether they're, they're picking and running at space or they're, you know, looking to, to move the ball. Um, it, it really keeps the defence on their toes the whole time. And, and I think that that kind of, you can kind of see that coming through so far in, in Andy Farrell's um, game plan. But saying that, you just have to look at the qualities that, that England and Wales have. Um, and Wales, as, as you write them off and, you know, they're right back. They're just a really gritty. And when they come together for, for Wales, they're, they're just, they seem to have this ability to to really punish teams and, and, and um, you know, and they, they cause upset as they go along and they have, they're not doing all these grand slams for nothing. The pure quality, like within their ranks, whether, whether they mightn't perform as well at club level, 
Um, but so uh, like it, it, it'll fall between those three, no doubt. But Ireland, um, like to be honest with you, it's hard to look past Wales. Yeah, but you that, France even sure France are unbelievable in the November internationals, no? Yeah, um, I ju- yeah, I, I just I don't think- know. Like, yeah, there, there, there's going to be a few upsets, I think, with 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 the way things will run. Like, yeah, Fran- like to be fair. Dupont and the, and the like are, are like world class, and it's kind of um, you know, I just find that Wales just have the sticky ability of actually winning games, um, and and just kind of will will upset teams as they go along. Um, so you know, if, if you're putting money, you kind of hate, your heart would say France, I suppose, but but your 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 money would would kind of go on Wales. It's a yeah. Uh, finally, Dennis, I do this with all my guests before I let you go. It's sixty second questions where you have to think in the spot. Right. So, alright. Favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, probably a good burger. Favorite golf course? Um, We've got. Uh, I'll skip it then. How how often do you do your dirty laundry? How often? Probably every two days, isn't it? Right. Uh, who would play you in a movie? She's oh, what's his name? Uh, Channing Tatum is what my wife would say. Right. <laughs> We're complimentary. Uh, oh, leg- yeah, it's a bit complimentary, I think. Yeah. Leg day or chest day? Um, on the leg day. Favourite film? Um, Groundhog Day. Go to karaoke song? Um, I'd say anything by Queen. Proudest moment? Um, probably, I'd say, yeah, probably what, the birth of our kids. Right. Uh, good answer. Uh, craziest thing you've ever done? be going to Dubai. And uh, best book you've ever read? Um, geez, I haven't read a few now for a number of years. So skip. Yeah. Go on. Uh, and favourite chocolate bear? Oh, I go through cycles. I think it's double decker at the minute. Right. And finally, then it's uh, uh, Westlife or Boys One. I'm on my ear. <laughs> great, great. No bother. Sure, look, Dennis, thanks a million for that. And sure, I might see a train tonight. Who knows? Hey, I better see you there, all right. <laughs> Mark Cody, how are you? Oh, not too bad, never good. Thanks, how are you? Not, not bad at all. Mark, thanks a million for coming on the podcast. I, I said I'd get you on because it's a, it's a great old story. I, I should have got you on sooner, but I have you on now. Um, last month, you did a 24-hour marathon. Like, how does that work then? Just tell me all about it for someone that doesn't know, you know? Yeah, so I suppose um, to start off, really, um, I had been training for the Ironman in Yall, um, and then, of course, that was cancelled at the start of the summer due to everything that was going on. Um, and I just was out. So I was still training. Away. I enjoy training, and I enjoy doing the sport. And um, I was out on the bike one day, and I just had this idea of a 24-hour triathlon, um, swim, bike, and run, and... 
I said, you know, I was always kind of looking for a challenge or something to do. And um, I enjoyed the training, but I, I always like having kind of an end goal or something to train towards. So um, I was always kind of looking up different challenges or trying to think up of things and uh, just came from the bike one day and stuck with it. Um, so, yeah, it ended up being a three-hour swim, um, which was done in a swimming pool because of the time of year. Um, 12 hours out on the bike, and then I was running nine hours in through the night. You enjoy misery, do you, Mark? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been told I'm a bit mad on a few on a few occasions. And you've you've so far you've raised over sixteen thousand. I see you're nearly up to the seventeen. Um, why? What made you do this then, like? Or why? I know it's for the Cancer Society, and uh, yeah, was what, what inspired you to do it? Yeah, well, um, my father was diagnosed with cancer there back um, at the end of May 2021, um, and I suppose as I said, when the Ironman was cancelled, then. I like to keep up the training. I, I said I'd put a, kind of put my efforts and put my focus into doing some challenge or something to raise funds in for a very good cause, really. Yeah. Right. And uh, and as I said, like for the for like, yeah, I didn't know that about Kieran because I know your dad obviously very well for for the for how many years. And uh, yeah. what made you do it in the middle of the winter then? Do you remember asking? Because <laughs> for, I remember when you were doing it, I was like, I was in bit like in fairness, the weather wasn't too bad, but remember one stage in the middle of the night we started lashing rain and I said to myself yeah. that poor fecker out in that like <laughs> yeah I suppose the reason the reason for the 2nd of January was um, well I'm hoping the Ironman will go ahead this year and to something I'd like to kind of try and properly erase it now when it comes around this time not just a case of getting just getting around the course I'd like to put in a good effort and race it um, and uh, I kind of said, if I do this in the summer, this 24-hour triathlon, it would really want to be one or the other. Um, they kind of both really be taken from each other. So, yeah. yeah, I said, look, I'd like to try and get them both in the same year. So doing it as far away from, from Ironman as possible. Um, and then I suppose really the 2nd of January was just uh, that I would have a few days off before we go back to school after the Christmas holidays if I needed a, right. a few extra days recovery that I wouldn't be going straight back into work the following day. Yeah, and te tell me your prep then, like, you know, like, um, for do because I know, like, most people can do well, not every, like people do marathons, but to do it over 24 hours, like, you know, so, like, did you how did you refuel in between and all that, like, you know? Yeah, I suppose it was something that, that was discussed a lot, really, in the few weeks leading up to it. And um, training itself started, I suppose, back the start of October, um, and kind of from then it was fairly full on. Um, I suppose I'd been kind of in the swimming pool or the gym at half six in the morning before school every morning since October right up until the event. And then I would have had another session or even two maybe after school. And um, that was the weekdays. Weekends then would always be your kind of your long cycles and your long runs and stuff. So um, very time consuming. But yeah, it was really kind of about building up a big base of fitness and, and getting the endurance side of it in. It wasn't trying to break any records or go a certain speed or anything like that so it was just about um getting the time in really and um, I suppose for fueling leading up to it and through the training it was never kind of a case of eating a certain amount of calories or, or trying to burn calories or anything it was just kind of a case of eat healthy enough and, and just eat plenty to be able to fuel trainings and to recover from sessions and um, when it came to to the nutrition on the day then really I suppose it was just a case of I had practiced, I suppose, what I would have on the bike and, and different things I would take on the run. So I knew what I was going to be taking. Um, and just, yeah, it was just really 
taking out a variety of food, I suppose, Nutri-Grain bars and brioche buns, bananas, the whole lot. Um, Try to stay away from gels on the bike just because it's not something I want to be starting too early and be too dependent on them, really. Um, so I try to stick to kind of normal food. Um, from the, for the swimming pool, like, I never really would eat when I'm swimming, so I just had a bottle there with a, a bit of energy powder frying to it, and after every so often, or I suppose every kilometre maybe or so in the pool, um, it would just up to stand up and take a drink. Um, I had a bowl of porridge then before I left for the bike, um, had all the had all my food actually in a bag that was in a car that kind of tailed me around for the day so I was able to drop back and get things from the, the car if I needed it um, and then yeah I had a bit of soup I had a bit of soup and a bread roll right after 150 kilometers on the bike just kind of something to break up the day and again get a bit of hot food and kind of try and warm up a bit um, and then yeah headed out on the bike again kind of followed the same routine as the first 150k and went home for a bit of dinner um, in transition. The transition times didn't count. That's why the whole event took about 27 hours. Um, went home and, and tried to have a bit of hot food, but couldn't really stomach too much of it at that stage. That was about half 11 at night. Um, and just went back down there and I kind of, there was a tent set up there down at the Barry's Lane at the clock eight, where it was, we were just using that as the base really for the day. So um, and I had bottles of water and, and bits of food down there as well to pick at whenever I needed. And what time did you start? What time did you finish? And the second question is, um, did you, like I said, was there massive organisation that went into it? Did you have to get a, a guard escort and any of that? Um, well, yeah, I suppose first, firstly I started at six o'clock on the Sunday morning. Um, uh, you know, luckily enough, the Club Vita outside there, the Quality Hotel in Red Barn, they opened up a few hours early to accommodate. Um, so I swam there from six to nine and... Um, did the 12 hours in the bike and then the nine hours and run after but because as I was saying the transitions didn't count and um, there was a bit of time for physio needed in between the bike and that and the whole event took 27 hours I finished up at nine o'clock in the Monday morning and um, yeah so that was that was really the um, the timing of it I suppose for organizing it and um, I was lucky enough like I had um, I was getting coaching there off John Ennis in town um, and I mean, as, like, I really was just focusing on the training and um, leading up to it. Um, but he did a lot of organising in the background and stuff like that. Um, my partner, Chloe, my family in that now, my mother and father and sister would have done a bit to help as well. They would have done a lot. Um, but yeah, I suppose really when I thought up of this idea, I had no clue how much organising actually went into it. Like I just was thinking up of this and I thought I'd throw a bottle of water there down in a ditch and I might pass seven or eight hours on the bike and change the water bottle and move on. I had absolutely no idea the work that needed to go into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a guard escort. Um, basically, I had um, a car uh, behind us at all times on the bike while it was dark. Um, or sorry, while it was bright. And when it got dark then, we had a car in front and behind us um, while it was dark. But we did have motorbike escorts as well um, throughout the whole cycle. So... I mean, really, we were very safe being brought the whole way around. So, um, I mean, just huge credit goes into everyone who helped to organise it. Um, I kind of really just did the training and kind of focused on getting myself ready for the event. And there was a lot of organising done in the background for me, really. So yeah. um, there was a lot of work went into it and there's, there's a lot of people really to thank for it. And what, uh, the final few questions I asked in, Mark, is that uh, 
like what like obviously look it's a great I know we're very local for, from you all but it's just a great story you know but like uh, when did you do laps was it four laps at a town or what was the running route and then what was the cycle route and um, when we had the cycle route when I left from the hotel outside in Red Barn um, and I went out through y'all and um, I went out to Dungarvan before cutting back and um, through Capaquin, Lismore and Tallow and back in so that was 100 kilometres and um, I went out with four or five there on that, on that cycle and met a new group and went out to the roundabout in Middleton and back and um, so that was the first 150k came home then and got a bit of physio where well, I came back to Barry's Lane to the tent got a bit of physio and got a bit of hot food and then repeated the same two loops. So the bike was 300 kilometers and finished up, started to run then from uh, the clock eight again. And it was going to be um, 10 kilometer loops from the Ironman um, route. So up the main street, up the back street and kind of out around the beach and stuff like that. Um, And yeah, I did kind of the first two of them grand and no bother. I was kind of feeling fresher than than I thought I would be at that stage. Um, but I knew there was something around the corner that was about to hit me really and um, came out in the third loop and um, I suppose it must have been about half two in the morning and I was kind of starting to struggle um, and I've been kind of walking the hills and kind of jogging the flats and the downhills then and um, yeah I was out around the beach at that time you mentioned with the weather there with an awful hailstorm just kind of caught us with no shelter or anything so um, it was really after that one then I kind of came back into town and I'd been soaked really at that time. Um, and I was getting fairly cold. I had a change of gear um, and then went back to start my fourth loop. But it was kind of at that time it was decided to just keep it to smaller loops. And they had been 10k loops we were doing, but we kept it down to, uh, we cut it down to five kilometer loops in around the town. It was just a flatter loop. And at that point then I had been kind of struggling with and the joints were a bit sore and I had a very kind of stiff and sore neck, I suppose, from being hunched over on the bike for so long. Um, and I was just needing physio treatment kind of more frequently and kind of get a shot at a massage gun or, or kind of draw a bit of physio here and there when I finished. So um, we cut the, the 5K loops down just up just the main street and down the back street and around and just kind of, I suppose, so I could get physio more frequently and stuff and to, to take out the hills because I suppose... At the start, they weren't really massive hills and they weren't things that you'd be overly concerned about, but just, I suppose, the mental fatigue and, and I suppose, physical fatigue as well at that point, they were just getting harder and harder as I went on. Like. And I suppose, Mark, then, you don't drink then at all, do you? And then I suppose, what's the, you're into this anyway, like, I suppose you're looking forward to doing the Ironman this summer or next summer? Yeah, that's right, yeah, I don't drink at all, like, so, um, there's a few people asking me, like, you know, was it, was it hard to stay off it leading up to it? But, <laughs> There's no matter really that way. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm back now tipping away training again. Um, I am. Um, I left my entry rollover for Ironman Yall and um, Ironman Cork for this August again. So hopefully that will go ahead this year as planned. Um, actually want to head over and do one in Austria as well in July, six weeks beforehand with a few lads. So yeah, just something to look forward to as well, something to train towards. And did I hear you're getting married a few days before the Ironman? Is that true? I am. <laughs> I am, I get married, yeah, I get married uh, Tuesday before the Ironman, so five days beforehand. Right. Yeah, well. Busy week. Yeah, definitely a busy week. Um, (laughs) Finally, Mark, then, is the GoFundMe page still active if people want to still give a bit to it? Um, It's actually going to be shut down over the next couple of days, Neville, so 
Um, I was supposed to be active um, until the 5th of February right. and then it'll be shut down and um, yeah, everything kind of, the withdrawals are set up to the Cancer Society and everything. So, Well, look, um, I'll, yeah. um, I'll put the link up when I put out this podcast and um, fair play to you. And even I got a message in last night from the Irish Cancer saying thanks a million and very well done to Mark. So look, uh, well done Mark and I take my hat off to you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Neville. And thanks for listening, and thanks again to my two guests, former Munster player Dennis Hurley, and of course uh, Mark Cody that did that triathlon for 24 hours, incredible, you can still donate, I'll have the link up in the profile, so please give whatever you can. And thanks again to Dennis Hurley, he coaches us out of Sunday as well, as I said, and I think um, I think he undersold himself there a small bit, because he was a quality fullback slash centre for Munster for the best part of 10 years. So thanks again to Dennis and thanks again to Mark Cody. Until next time, we'll have someone else from the world of sport. Make sure, remember you can get this podcast on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue, I'm out of here and thanks for listening.